Vanessa. How are you? Good. How are you? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Been a while. Well, we live together. Well, no. Oh, that can't be confirmed. I re- pulled back the curtain and I revealed the dark underworld of the magician's secret. Wow. The magician should never reveal his tricks. Oh, I'm sorry, audience. So what have you been up to? Uh, well, I've been, uh, you know, reading away, just uh, reading, trying to, to survive during this very cold winter in Montreal. How about you? Yep, just chilling, working hard, uh, enjoying the many books that I've been reading. Of course, the Witcher series mm-hmm, mm-hmm. has really inspired me to uh, pick up the tablet and continue on my ebook reading uh, journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you catch the Oscars last night? Uh, well, I did not. I did catch the results, and I'm I'm pretty happy that uh, Parasite won. It's a pretty big historic event. Yeah, because you were walking around for a long time with that T-shirt that said, uh, I'm so glad, hashtag Oscars so white. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were pretty embarrassed this morning. I saw you trying to stuff that T-shirt away. <laughs> I know. Now I'm, look how me, I'm so sheepish. Um, but yeah, no, I'm happy that uh, a foreign language film won. It's pretty big. How do you feel? Um, well, you know, I had a thought. I'm happy, of course. It was a great movie. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I liked it a lot. But do you ever wonder, like, what if we're so focused on the subtitles that we don't notice the acting? What if for us, what we consider to be a great piece of cinema and the country of origin for that movie, they're like, oh, this is like a B movie for us. That would be a nightmare that I wouldn't want to wake up from, for sure. Yeah. Because Just the truth a thought. would be so terrifying. But I'm happy for Parasite. Uh, of course, we all know that Uncut Gems was snubbed mm-hmm, mm-hmm. by the Oscars Academy. For sure. But uh, I saw he, Mr. Sandler won the um, Spirit Awards, the Independent Film Awards, Best Actor. That yeah. was great. He gave a nice little speech. I lolled. I raffled. I LMFAO'd. I was on the floor holding myself. I couldn't believe how funny it was. This guy's a fantastic actor. The way he uses words to his benefit and our demise. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, you're a bit, pretty big number one fan, I think, of Adam Sandler. Hell yeah, man. Did you like this more than any other movie you've seen him in? Nah. What was your favorite Adam Sandler movie? Jack and Jill. <laughs> or, you know, wow. Dunkachino, Dunkachino. Yeah. Well, so are you going to talk to us about that film today, Uncut Gems? Sure, yeah. So it's about uh, two twins. They <laughs> live, I think, in separate cities. One of them seems to be like a marketing executive And his twin sister, I don't know if she lives on a trust or something or just kind of like through inheritance. Uh, But then they get together every Thanksgiving. It seems like there's a lot of tension there. Whoa, is that what you meant, Vanessa? Jack and Jill? No, silly. (laughs) Yeah, I'm talking Uncut Gems. It's a great movie. Released December 2019 in the USA, directed by the Softy Brothers. I thought it was Safty, but we literally just watched an interview where they say, softy those softies yeah. i'm a softy for the softies yeah so we're watching this movie called uh circumcised gems there's a very jewish feel to it oh whoops freudian slip i meant uncut gems Jeez. what do you think about that joke vanessa you think it could make it into my set i can't comment on uh that. okay well i'll give you the quick uh, google summary to save you a click it's about a charismatic jeweler who makes a high stakes bet that could lead to the windfall of a lifetime in a precarious high-wire act, he must balance business, family, and adversaries on all sides in pursuit of the ultimate win. 
Mm. Now, does that sound like a movie you'd be into, Vanessa? It does, but continue. I still want to be sold on it. No, off top, does that sound like a movie? Like, you're just Googling movies, and you think, oh, Uncut Gems. I'm not familiar with the softies, but what's it about? Would you watch it based on yeah. what Google says? I mean, I hear the word jeweler, and I'm interested, for sure. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. Am I right, ladies? And isn't that so funny? I don't have any <laughs> friends. So it's starring Adam Sandler as Howard Ratner. He plays a Jewish-American jeweler. He's wonderful. He's got a girlfriend named Julia Fox, who in the movie plays Julia. So, you know, not super original, plays his girlfriend. But he's also married, played mm. by Adina Menzel, who I wow. think was in the Wicked musical. Mm-hmm. Does she play Wicked? Probably. And then Kristen Chenoweth plays Good Wicked? Sure. Right. And rounding out the cast, we have Lakeith Stanfield, who plays Damani. Mm. which is kind of funny i thought it was like supposed to be like the money like the money but it looks to me in writing it's spelled d-e-m-a-n-y who plays an assistant and his job is to get howard clients at the jewelry Mm. store rich yeah rich famous clients rich famous clients and then finally we have kevin garnett basketball player extraordinaire vanessa when you came on what'd you say You said, I don't know who that is. (laughs) It's true. He plays himself, and he's very famous, but I didn't know who he was. Well, that's it. It takes place during the 2012 uh, playoffs, so Mm -hmm. in the spring of 2012, Mm -hmm. uh, while Boston is playing Philadelphia in the, it's not the East Coast, I guess it's the East Coast semifinals. I think they go on to play Miami. My favorite semifinals. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, Howard is a jeweler, like I said, but he's got a gambling problem. And mm. I've got to tell you, I don't know anybody with a gambling problem, but if this is what it's like, I think you need help. Yeah. I think you need to stop listening and get help, Dad. For sure. I agree. Yeah, I didn't. Anyway, so it's great. I mean, So the movie starts off um, in an Ethiopian diamond mine, I think. Uh, we see these two guys find a very rare, or it seems like it's implied to be a very rare diamond. Uh cuts to howard in new york he's a jeweler right away very loud very busy a lot of people talking at the same time howard we see owes somebody money he made some bad debts uh and then we kind of just follow him like as he has this stone he meets kevin garnett kevin garnett is like obsessed with this rock very interesting black opals uh we see that this is kind of funny it's like he was watching uh the discovery channel Howard was and he says that that's how he does research with it kind of funny in its own right like as if that's really doing research just watching the uh, history channel like you have the edge on everybody else or whatever like National Geographic or something 2012 that was before the internet existed so that was his only option I think that was pre-reddit I think or at least in reddit's early days uh so yeah he trades Kevin Garnett for his uh championship ring in 20 that he had won the previous year and he's like this is collateral and Kevin Garnett's like, yeah, no problem. Like, just give it back to me, like, in a few days when I come back for the playoffs. For the uncut gem. So it's clearly yeah. like, the titular. Kevin is holding on to the, uh, the uncut gem uh, for the duration of a game or two because re- he really likes it and he thinks it'll help him play. Uh, so what does Howard do? He immediately goes and pawns the ring for cash. Big logical. cash. Yeah, logical. Uh, Crazy, very stressful. I really cannot stress how stressful this film was and the many poor decisions that Howard makes. Uh, so he pawns that for cash. He immediately goes to make this insane bet on the Celtics to win the game, I think. Yeah, and I want to say I hope that our listeners are as sweaty as I was watching this film because 
uh, I was pretty sweaty. Yeah. I was pretty stressed. Yeah, exactly. So he makes this crazy bet. Uh, later, he gets picked up by somebody named Arno that he seems to owe money to. We think he must be like a gambling shark or a debt collector. And he, tell, he tells uh, Howard, uh, oh, yeah, I called that bet off because you owe me so much money. And Howard's like, what the fuck, Arno? Like, what's your problem? Like, we won big. We would have won big. And he's like, you're out of control. Uh, yeah, so it's crazy. It's kind of intercut with scenes of Howard um, at his kid's play. We see that he is a father, albeit seemingly a degenerate dad. A scumbag daddy, can we say? Yeah. Because while he's with his wife, who they've obviously talked about divorce and they're planning on a divorce, he's also seeing his girlfriend, Julia Fox. Mm. And Julia Fox... It's not ugly. She's a fox. She's a fox. Yeah, she's really funny. Only in this movie. I can say that. Pardon? Only I can say that. Well, I said pardon. Go on. Just like the champ, remember? You know that radio show. And so, uh, anyway, so yeah, we see that she shares an apartment with Howie, or Howie owns an apartment, I should say. Maybe she's like a sugar baby or something. We're not really clear on what that is, what their relationship is right away. Uh, then we kind of go through the stress of him making these bad decisions, these poor debts, trading everything. He needs the rock back from Kevin Garnett like the next day or two days from for an, be- for an auction where he says that he's going to make like $750,000 on like a $10,000 or $100,000 purchase. No, it must have been like a $10,000 purchase because anyway. Numbers. Yeah, a big return. And Kevin Garnett, for whatever reason, is like avoiding him. And it's very stressful because you're like, okay, well, he's got to get this rock back. And he also has to get kevin granite's ring back and he doesn't have the money for that we're crying at this point we had to pause it i think to talk once or twice we were watching it on netflix uh yeah so i don't know it was super stressful very i don't like going through it just kind of like step by step but super stressful there's a scene where we learn that arno is like his brother-in-law at a mm. passover this whole movie felt like super jewish i think it was really Fuck. well done i know i know yeah and uh yeah plot twist they're all jewish <laughs> Howie and Arno are Jews. And uh, so, yeah, they're at the uh, Passover. They're just kind of hanging out. Howie is like bragging about all the money that he's going to get from this rock trade. Or I should say rock auction. Rockion, for yeah, sure. Rockion. <laughs> uh, one of the next scenes, he's at a club. He's like, where's Julia? Where's my girlfriend? And she thinks that he's cheating on her. She's cheating on him because... He, She's in the washroom with The weekend, doing cocaine. Yeah, and it's the actual weekend. And it's the real Man, weekend, the, yeah. The singer. And it's kind of like a stupid joke, like, oh, I don't know if this kid's going to make it. I feel like yeah, they're saying yeah. things like that. <laughs> like, oh, dramatic irony. Uh, yeah, so, you know, of course, like, cuts ahead. We see that he actually isn't able to sell the rock for as much as he thought he would, and he makes his dad bid way higher to try oh, yeah. to outbid kevin garnett who comes to the auction for this rock because he's obsessed with it so now how he has to pay his dad back which he does then he takes his winnings he locks arno and the other debtor guys in a little glass bulletproof place so they can't escape and he makes julia in the jewelry store in the jewelry store and he makes julia take all that money and bring it to a casino to bet on it and it's all the money that he would have gotten back that he owes arno so these guys are freaking out right and basically, we watch him watch a basketball game, and I've never watched somebody watch a sports game before and been so invested. Mm-hmm. You know, like never as a kid watching my dad watch hockey or, uh, well, just that, mm-hmm. right? But it was so engrossing how he's like running around the room. He's being a crazy man. He wins. 
He's like, there you go, Arno. See, I told you it was all going to turn out. He opens the door. First thing is one of his gangster friends does, shoots Arnie in the head. Yeah. Bam. End of movie. Very hectic. I loved it. And just like how that movie made me feel, I'm going to just stop it. I loved it. Yeah. Great. I loved it. Julia Fox was good. Super stressful. I like, there's a scene I like a lot where uh, he goes up to the apartment. He thinks that everything with Julia Fox is over after the weekend. And he's like, oh, baby, like, I love my wife. I don't want to break up. Like, you know, that girl didn't mean anything. So he's like, I just got to go to the apartment and make sure that she moved out. But he doesn't tell his wife that. He just says, I need to go to the apartment. And she's like, okay, but bring your son up. He's got to use the washroom. And he's kind of like, fuck, no. Like, he's going to blow my cover. So he makes this kid go into the other room, into another apartment to use the washroom. He goes to check things out. We're all sweating because we're like, what the hell is going to happen? Like, is she still there? Did she, like, trash everything? But she left peacefully, thankfully. Uh, Adam Sandler comes out of the washroom. His kid's like, why did that guy say you have a hot chick living here? His neighbor. Yeah, yeah. his neighbor says, why does your neighbor say a hot chick lives here? And Adam Sandler's like, why'd you talk to him? I said, don't talk to him. And he's like, what? He just talked to me like I was waiting for you. And it's so funny. And it just adds like a new level to like, oh, yeah, your dad's like a dirtbag. Yeah. Like he's got a problems. dirtbag. Well, in debt. Yeah, in debt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it just kind of adds like a funny level to uh, to the character. Wow. Yeah. So what did you think about gambling after this movie made me want to gamble yeah. underrated or overrated it made me want to parlay my life 18 ways to just to like <laughs> get some cash on something yeah you know what i learned I mean? a lot of fun gambling terms i brought my diary to uh, uh a bookie and just said what can you make on this <laughs> what are the odds this happens and yeah he was like get the hell out this is a doctor's office sure and i'm going back for more testing um well, I just wanted to bring up, yeah, in terms of gambling uh, addiction, I personally have never seen any films that depicted it this way, that it felt like I've always, obviously, I think I'm aware on some level that gambling is like a serious addiction as much as being a drug addict, um, but I don't think I'd really seen the two as so like similar until this film at one point, Adam Sandler, he's in a taxi and he realizes he won a really, really big bet. And the way he reacts is he looks manic and he's just shaking. And you can tell it's a very physical reaction for him and all this rush of endorphins. And that for me really put it together that like gambling is as serious of an addiction as anything else. Oh, yeah. He's like having it looks like he's having an orgasm in the backseat of the taxi. Yeah. He's like, get off here, get off here. Yeah. And he like obviously goes to buy a bunch of stuff for his girlfriend. And uh, like he's high. Yeah. yeah, it's like he's high. And Somebody tweeted this, one of my uh, friends, and I thought it was pretty funny. They said, if you're watching Uncut Gems and you've never gambled before, like if you've, and you've never had a gambling problem, this is probably like a very stress-inducing, fearful movie for you. But if you have had a gam- gambling problem, this is probably like erection-inducing. <laughs> Sad. Sad, kind of crude. And I, you know, I do feel like two ways. On the one hand, it really made me want to try gambling because this guy was going nuts. Right? Like when yeah. he was winning, he was winning. But on the other hand, yeah, every time he gets money, literally he gambles it like within the next 10 seconds. Just terrible, terrible, like never makes the right decision right until the very end. Yeah. And, well, uh, I think if you're watching this movie, you need to really, I think you kind of have to put yourself into the headspace of somebody with a gambling addiction and not think logically because you realize watching it that it has literally nothing to do with the money for him because he just keeps gambling it away like it's just about the experience of winning big 
and that anyways it just for me put a lot of things in perspective so yeah and i mean i haven't seen their other movies i do want to see good time a lot it's been on my list mm-hmm. for a while but um one thing i like outside of the gambling that they did is the way they like uh wrote those two characters like julia and howie you know because at first you're kind of like oh well she's like too young for him she's mm-hmm. working in the store is she like i think she was at one point a sex worker it's implied mm-hmm. But, like, why is she with him? Like, she's so beautiful. She could obviously, like, mm-hmm. The weekend wants to hook up with her. What is she doing? But I think they do a good job of really showing, like, by the end, like, she really does care about Howie. So that kind of makes it even more sad that that he uh, he dies in the end, that he gets killed. Uh, yeah, they're this, kindred spirits. Yeah, I think she just loves him and she wants to take care of him. There's a scene at the end where he comes in his face is, like, all busted up. He got beat up by Arno's guys. And uh, she, she's like, oh, let me take care of you. Like, you know, you're beautiful. Like, here, let me help you. And she's like, here, I, I want to show you something. Like, I did something for you. And she shows, like, her butt, I think. And she got a Howie tattoo yeah. for him. And that's such, like, a funny, sweet, <laughs> like, you know. Doesn't this make you feel better? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, look, I love you. Like, we were supposed to be together. And I know you're thousands and thousands of dollars in debt, but I have a tattoo of your name. And like, yeah. you know, he's like, oh, this is perfect. Literally 10 minutes ago, he's telling his wife in the movie, like, oh, she's a dirty, you know, whatever. <laughs> she doesn't mean anything to me. I hate her. So yeah, he's a scumbag. He's a degenerate. Like he get, you know, he gets what he deserves. Mm-hmm. But it was a kind of like how they kind of made it a little more complex and, yeah. and made it tragic in that way that he had to die with uh, Julia, who totally didn't deserve any, anything like that. She was real. She was honest. Real ones. Yeah, true ones uh, never last. <laughs> but anyway, so I give that movie like 10 diamonds mm. out of 10. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so Looks anyway, good. you read some books this week? Looks like we're getting a two for one. This is what I'm talking about. Content value. Yeah, it's a two for one, so I really got to speed through it, I guess. I, I you know, I'm going to try to do my best, but really, it's not going to be too challenging. Hey, Vanessa? Okay, I'll take a breath. Take your time. Okay. But I got dinner rezos and eight, so let's hurry. Okay. I'm kidding. So the reason I chose to do these two books in the same episode is because both of them are uh, written in a stream of consciousness, first person narration about women who are dealing with mental illness, increasingly uh, serious mental illness. And they they both have a very like dry sense of humor, a very like self-aware, witty um, style of 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 narrating their lives um so i felt they were pretty similar i think the main difference is that one of them is considered to be more of a millennial uh character um and the other one she's a little bit closer to being middle-aged and so one of them is in a bit of a more she's not in a perfect financial situation but she's a university professor so i think arguably she's in a more secure professional position um and the other is working in a temp job but they're both women who have recently um separated from their partners or they've had relationships end more because of their own mistakes um so the first book is called yeah i guess i should say the names of the book so the first book is called looker by laura sims it's her debut novel she was a poet originally she has several collections of poetry that have been published um so a little quick summary to looker it's, uh, so the unnamed narrator is mourning her infertility and the end of her marriage. Um, and she six weeks earlier, her husband abandoned her in her three-story apartment. It's not explicitly stated that it's in New York City, but it's pretty clearly set in New York City. Um, her husband only left her cat behind their cat behind. 
she's working as a English professor, but she's been unable to get a tenured position. And she only really has one friend that she kind of doesn't have the energy to, to, to stop talking to, so to tell her that she doesn't want to see her again. So it's obviously not a very fulfilling relationship. But the main focus of this story is that she becomes increasingly obsessed with her neighbor, who is an actress, a very famous Hollywood actress. Um, we, we don't know her name, only that she's starred in a Michael Bay movie, um, and that she has a beautiful home, a beautiful husband, and two beautiful children. And uh, yeah, essentially she starts to become increasingly obsessed and kind of uh, has disturbing hallucinations and uh, fantasies about this family. So she starts to steal the, the neighbor's da like daughter's bike. She steals clothing they leave out to donate, which I guess technically isn't really stealing, but she, she starts collecting items from her next door neighbor, basically. So she sort of feels so depressed and unhappy with herself that she starts to romanticize her her neighbor who's this actress as being like the perfect ideal woman and the perfect uh vision of what she her life could have been if she hadn't been infertile uh, because she wanted to have children and that's essentially it's suggested that's what why their relationship ended so uh she has a student in one of her in her english class that starts to flirt with her openly in front of cl the class and at first she's kind of uncomfortable because it feels like he's sort of uh, being, you know, inappropriate by flirting with her in front of the class, but she eventually starts to kind of submit to his advances and they end up going on a date and she does start sleeping with him. Um, and I'll say that that was one of the aspects of the book that I didn't really enjoy because it felt like pretty irrelevant to the main storyline of her becoming obsessed with her neighbor. Um, so that's kind of what drew me to this book, I should say, is I kind of, I'm just pretty obsessed with anything that has to do with a woman slowly sinking into insanity. I, I just saw the film Horse Girl on Netflix uh, with, with Alison Brie, so I really recommend that. And you kind of have gone on some pretty long rants about teacher-student relationships, right? Yeah, and how they're not a big deal, everybody. Yeah. What's the big deal, man? Um, who do you think taught me how to love? <laughs> There you go. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So that's kind of what drew me to the book. I just, I was mainly interested in this idea that it's about a woman just sort of staring or mainly basically stalking her neighbor. Um, but I felt like it kind of veered into this other direction when it, when it focused on her relationship with her students. So I didn't really love that. And he, and then it kind of becomes confusing to me this, the main subject matter of the book, because the student actually ends up writing a letter to the school when she ends the relationship, he writes a letter to the school saying that she forced him to have sex with her, basically, you know, that it was sexual harassment, and she actually gets fired by um, the university. So it, it's sort of, I don't know if it's supposed to be like... But is that like an anti-Me Too thing? Like That's what I don't, I don't know, because it's sort of ironic because he, he's lying, really. Like, he's saying that she forced him into this relationship when it was more the other way around. Um, so that, to me, felt like just sort of could have been a subject the subject of an entirely different book um but i did like a, the it's very funny it, i read it in like one day because it's it's pretty addicting and it's pretty suspenseful um so i liked all the passages that had to do with her obsessing over her neighbor and uh fantasizing about like the food in their kitchen and what they mm. have for dinner and mm. her clothing and it's it just sort of sinks into this real like uh intense jealousy and uh and depression mm. um and 
she she she's also the whole time like ignoring her husband's divorce lawyer mm. she ends up killing the cat which i kind of predicted so i will say that parts of the book were kind of predictable they killed my cat they killed her cat no they killed my cat you know that movie no they killed my cat east coast production bad acting good kung fu you ever heard of it elliot the lightning scott oh he did that okay they killed my cat yeah <laughs> No, I'll have to check it out. I'll, I'll ch- Our listeners should check it out as well. Interesting piece of mm. national cinema. Wow. Although not available on the National Film Board of Canada, so mm. I'm not too sure how to find it. Okay. Well, if any of our listeners know. I have it on DVD, but... <laughs> Um, so yeah, so she's, she's refusing to acknowledge her husband's divorce lawyers. She kills her cat, kind of predictable. Um, so there's definitely like a very, um, there's a lot of suspense thriller tropes in this book, um, which sometimes I think is successful, but the ending was also kind of predictable. One of the biggest moments for her is when she meets the actress. Finally, they have a conversation at the block party. It's like a big kind of, um, I know what a block yeah so well everyone's brings food whatever she talks to the you're talking about a cookout it's a cookout but for really rich rich white people i think yeah oh a block party yeah so uh so she meets the actress she so the basically the book ends with her running after the actress who's coming home from a jog and the actress starts running faster and she starts yelling at her like wait 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 like i need to talk to you and then when she gets up to the house the actress runs inside locks the door so we think, okay, like something violent is obviously going to happen. And what ends up happening is that her neighbor, this old woman that she'd kind of spoken throughout throughout the book comes up and tries to calm her down. And she's like, you're going to listen, you need to calm down. Something bad is going to happen. And she pushes her and the old woman falls down the stairs and it's implied that she dies. Um, and that's kind of how the book ends. And she's very like calm and she feels at peace with herself. But I think that... I don't know. I kind of, I kind of just wish more crazy, messed up stuff had happened. I guess, like, I wish she'd broken into the actress's house. Yeah, I wish it was. Just Do you think torture porn? No, I just sort of. It feel. I feel like I was kind of sold. I didn't want it to be just a thriller, but I feel like I was sold a little bit more insanity than I got in this book. Mm. Um, because you know, like I said, the author is a poet. I feel like it was. It's very, very funny, but the writing to me almost felt like. You could look at it in this poetic way where it's it's very sparse. There's not a lot of description. Um, it's really just like her own thoughts. It's kind of, I don't know. It's it's not, It's it definitely feels like a first novel to me. Oh, interesting. And you feel like the uh, torture porn aspects to it are a little bit too tame. implied. Too tame, yeah. I don't want to sound like a sicko. It's just I wanted her to like really... Like, she does sort of go nuts, I guess, in the sense that she starts, when she starts collecting her neighbor's things, she basically, like, fills an entire room with stuff from her neighbor, and it's sort of, you know, she just stops cleaning, she starts, stops bathing, she really does sink into, like, she has a basically a psychotic break, for sure. Oh, wow. So, I liked it. I give it a three out of five for being, like, interesting, fu- very funny. It's, it's, I mean, like I said, I'll, I really will read anything that kind of is commentary on a contemporary womanhood and how it's this uh construct like she she spends a lot of time just thinking about how much pressure there is to be a woman a perfect woman and perfect mother and and I, so i i think it's can be relatable Did um you read bell hooks i have not read bell hooks feminism is for everybody it's true i know um so yeah all that to say i think the ending felt anticlimactic uh and i wanted it to be a little more disturbing 
a little more action. So the next book I want to talk about, Elliot. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry I didn't comment more on Bell Hooks, but I'll, I'll read her sometime. I'll read her and I'll, I'll talk about it on the podcast. Um, so the next book I want to talk about is called The New Me. So the author is Hallie Butler. Hallie Berry? Uh, close, Hallie Butler. Mm. So she is considered to be a millennial woman, this author, and the book is considered to be a definitive work of millennial literature. Um, but I will, I'll start first by saying, I guess, that this book has made me realize that there really is, there's no such thing as a universal experience period, obviously, like the idea of having a universal story is kind of this fallacy, I feel like a colonial fallacy, but to say that it's a universal millennial experience is definitely not true. It's She's definitely, this p- character is coming from a place of privilege. She's white and she lives in Chicago. She is like late 20s, university educated. She's unemployed or, or uh, most of the book she's, parts of the book she's she's working as a temp part, uh, part-time. Does she like deep dish pizza? Probably. I hope so. Does she like drill music? Is that a Chicago thing? Do they talk oh, yeah. about Chief Keef in that book? Because <laughs> then it would be truly millennial, right? right? Um, but yeah, all that to say is she's very privileged. Like her parents pay her rent at mm. points where she can't afford to. So it's definitely not a universal millennial experience. But I think the aspects of it that um, are relatable to millennials is that she's underemployed in the sense that she is working as a temp at a furniture warehouse hmm. in an office. And so she's got a university background and she's kind of being underused her skills are are not being utilized in this workplace Mm -hmm. so she feels very uh uh, depressed because she doesn't feel fulfilled in her job Mm. um it's sort of about this hopelessness that we that people feel in our capitalist society and that this feeling that the society's telling us that it's a personal problem that we're experiencing rather than a systemic economic problem do you feel like there was some nihilism in the book like do you yes. think her attitude was like nothing really matters? Yeah, so there's definitely a lot of like existential depression in this novel, but it, a lot of it is pretty funny. Uh, if you like existential humor, then I think it could be interesting. I don't. I, okay. I read less than zero. I know that's like nihilist and not existential, mm-hmm. but didn't love it. Yeah, so to me, this was not so much nihilist. Like she's not, it's not like American Psycho where they're just, she's like, killing people. Mm. But basically, what happens is she sinks further into depression for example her neighbors it's funny so the parts of the books they it jumps to like the perspective of different characters so there at the one point there's a chapter about her neighbors who are dealing with the smell coming out of her apartment uh, because she's stopped cleaning and her apartment smells so bad they complain to the landlord um it another point it jumps to the perspective of her boss at this in this office job that where the boss wants to get her fired because they don't feel like she's they just think she's sort of weird. It's kind of to do with her job performance, but it's more that they're like wanting to go on a power trip. Mm-mm. And so they managed to get her fired. Um, but so, you know, it's sort of about this, I, how women around her are trying to like stifle their unhappiness through shopping, through drinking, through this focus on self-improvement and sort of the illusion of self-improvement that people get in the media as well. Um, by judging each other, by... Uh, grasping at the small amount of authority that they have in these office hierarchies. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
yeah so she she it kind of culminates with her eventually having she goes back to visit her parents in the suburbs they take her to the hair salon they buy her new clothes they send her back to chicago you know encouraging her to apply to more jobs and uh, giving her money for rent so to me that felt a little bit like i didn't empathize with the character as much because she it felt like kind of uh I don't know. She was just obviously very privileged. Not not everyone's in that position where they can always turn to their parents for, for rent, obviously. Um, so I'll read a quote from the book to show, I think, this focus on like self-optimization and self-improvement. Um, I tell myself that change is possible, could be possible right now. Behavior is, behavior is changeable. I might not be able to change my thoughts and opinions, not at first anyway, but my behavior, that I can do. If I don't care either way, why not make some changes to my behavior? If I'm dead inside already, why not make a few simple changes? At least my body could feel better. So there's a lot of uh, like this narration of her thoughts where she's she's just sort of almost like begging herself to change. Like she she's thinking like, why can't I read a book? Why can't I, uh, you know, write it in my agenda? Why can't I? Why do I just sit and watch forensic files all day? And I think we can all relate to that feeling of you know, being hard on ourselves for not doing more with our lives. Um, and on that subject of forensic files, I, I like this book because it felt like um, there was this menacing aspect to it of um, this fear that the narrator kind of feels paranoid at times. And if you, I think if you put it in context, it makes sense where it, I think the author is trying to show the fear or the terror of being financially insecure finance the financial instability like i said she does have parents who can kind of bail her out but she before she's willing to tell her parents about her situation she does feel a lot of fear about like how am i going to pay rent next month what do i do i feel like such an idiot you know how am i i'm not i think a lot of it has to do with this feeling of not being a real adult um which i think a lot of millennials can relate to um so yeah so i'll skip to the ending um the it ends with her it sort of skips to the future. Um, okay, I'll read a part of it. So, somewhere in the circle of Millie's time on Earth, she spent a sleepless night mulling things over. She was no longer in that part of life where things changed. Her actions from here on out would carry more permanence, could no longer be easily swapped out for something new. Realizing this, she felt panic, deep and wide and boundless, and then she felt release. And then there's just two pages where it talks about how it suggested that years from, from the events of the book, she's working in an office and now she's a junior office manager. And another one of the coworkers kind of looks at her and thinks that, oh, I don't want to be her one day. Like, I want to get out of this place. But she sort of seems kind of happy in this office setting. And at first, the first time I read it, I felt depressed and it sort of was seemed like a very sad ending to me. But rereading it for this podcast, I sort of feel like it could also be interpreted as positive where she realizes that she doesn't need to be fulfilled by her job to be fulfilled in life, if that makes sense. Like, she doesn't have to have an emotionally or intellectually fulfilling job to be, to have, like, stimulation that's interesting and mm. intellectual. Mm -hmm. That she can find happiness outside of her work. Mm. Yeah, I get that. So, yeah, I really liked it. Um, I think it's, I, like, again... I think there are a lot of relatable aspects to a lot of millennials. Like I said, there is no like universal millennial experience, but I think that this job insecurity, a precarity is is relatable and th this sort of balance in trying to find happiness 
in your life, but accepting that maybe you won't be able to find a fulfilling job, but you can find fulfillment elsewhere. Hmm. Um, so yeah. Well said. Yeah. What do you give that second book out of uh... five? I give it four. So the first was a three. This was a four. But I do still think both are like worth checking out if you do. If you like, if like me, you enjoy reading about women spiraling out of control and uh, about mental illness. Oh, I don't just enjoy it. I thirst for it. Yeah. You said spiraling out of control. Yeah. Desperation. Mm-hmm. I'm sweating already. <laughs> yeah. So those are some books. Cool. What are you going to talk about next week, Elliot? Oh, boy. Black History Month. Pass. I still have to make my movie decision. Okay. Well, I know what I'm going to be talking about. I'm going to talk about The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. Mm. And uh, it's a pretty cool book. There's some... I was going to say magical realism, but that's not true. But basically, it's about uh, it's about the Underground Railroad during... Uh, you know, before the Civil War, when slavery was legal, about slaves escaping the South of the United States, but instead of a fictional underground railroad, it's a real underground railroad. Ah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And tell me, Vanessa, do you have any plans outside of the podcast coming up? Well, since you ask, I'm going to be traveling to Cuba this, what? this coming week. Yeah. You're kidding! And so we're doing a beachside special. Probably, I should try. Yeah. That could be fun. We'll see. We'll see if these microphones are waterproof and I'll get back to you. Okay. You're being silly. (laughs) Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time, I'm Elliot. Until next time, I'm Elliot. All right. I'll get that ending right next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you.